what's happening? Welcome to Throwing Stones. Alongside Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. If you don't know, you should know by now. We talking hoops, hoops, and more hoops, and not just our beloved Pistons. Before we get rolling, always got to like, remind you to like and subscribe wherever you can find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, full episodes on YouTube. Ryan, let's get it. Start with our Pistons. Bad news. Star player, not named Cade Cunningham. <laughs> Jeremy Grant being shut down. For the season, uh, just like the title says at the bottom, Ryan, is this the last we have seen of Jeremy Grant as a Detroit Piston? Uh, I think it is. I hope it is. Um, I'm not happy that it had to come this way, right where he's hurt, because you're never going to wish that on a guy. But I hope the Pistons move on. This will give the Pistons a few more opportunities to play some of the young guys. You know, Isaiah Livers is going to get a ton of minutes out of this. Marvin Bagley is going to play more at the power forward spot, I would imagine, out of this. And then Dwayne Casey already came out and said, you know, expect more shots for Sadiq Bey. So long term, I think it's a, a good thing for the Pistons. I do think somebody, whether it be the Trailblazers, who we talked about on our last show, or another mystery team no one's even thought of, is going to come in and swoop up Jeremy Grant, you know, around the draft, during the draft, whatever the case may be. But I think we've seen Jeremy Grant's last game as a Piston. You know, I, I wish him all the best. He was pretty good while he was here, put together a semi-all-star campaign last year, wanted to come here, you know, said he wanted to play for uh, a black city, a black coach, a black GM. And, you know, he really embraced everything that Detroit was all about. So I have no ill will at all towards Jeremy Grant, if that is indeed the last time that we see him in the Pistons blue and red. I mean, and the man, you know, kind of revitalized his career here. You know, 22 points per game last year, just over 19 points a game this year. A lot of injury troubles. And I think part of that, you know, was he was injured and then it was getting towards, you know, the the end of the trade deadline. And so it was like, all right, are they going to make something happen? Don't risk him getting hurt. Let's see if we can get him, you know, traded. It didn't happen. So then he came back and started playing. was playing real well. Then this calf injury happened. And, uh, you know, there's no reason to push it. It's not like we're pushing for a playoff spot. You know, we're 20 and 55. Uh, so, you know, I, I get it. I appreciate what he brought here. Cause he, he brought it when he, he, when he played, he brought it. He didn't half ass it. And, you know, he made the most of his time here, said all the right things, played the right way. And just like you, I wish him the absolute best. But this will be interesting to see now because when we were doing Sports Carnage and we were talking about the hope of, you know, getting Cade Cunningham and then we got Cade Cunningham and we were talking about the youth of this team and how young this team really is. And Jeremy Grant was a little bit of an outlier because he's a little bit older than the group we were talking about. We were talking about 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, and we got a ton of them on the Pistons. And Jeremy Grant was, what, 26, 27, I think? So a little yeah. bit older than that. So now we get to see what this youth movement is going to look like for the rest of this year. All the guys you mentioned, obviously Cade, Killian, you know, we're going to see what these guys can bring to the table, you know, as a young group that's growing together. And we've seen in the second half of the season, you know, them play a lot better as a team. And we've seen that growth. And so now for the rest of the year, we're going to see it without Jeremy Grant. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe because Grant's not out there, Cade's going to be putting up 30, 10, and 10 to finish off the year and there force you. them to give that man the rookie of the year because this man is still trailing Evan Mobley right now. Mobley is hurt and don't know how many games yet he's going to miss, but he's going to be out for a little bit at least. Uh, and Cade 
just motoring along, first among rookies in points, second in assists, fourth in rebounds, second in steals. Since the All-Star break, 21 points, six and a half boards, seven assists, basically. And the big thing that I love that I saw about him is that while playing for the Pistons, he is a plus 5.9, almost a plus 6. When he's not playing, they're at a minus 11. That's how important Cade Cunningham is to the Detroit Pistons already. Yeah, I mean, Cade has he, – he was the most important Piston even before Jeremy Grant went down, and he's <laughs> been lying. the most important rookie, you know, by far in the NBA this year. You know, he leads all rookies in usage. Uh, he leads them in, like, double teams and double teams per, per possession and everything else. And he's really tasked with more than a- any other rookie uh, has been in the NBA. And, you know, he's he he's handled it well, right? Since the All-Star break, uh, he's put up just some crazy numbers. You know, he's got some, like, really – uh, impressive totals as well you know the per game numbers obviously but if you're just looking at totals over a thousand points you know 330 rebounds just about 330 assists he's the only guy ever with like those amount of totals through 59 uh games since lebron michael jordan magic johnson luca alvin adams and oscar robertson Cade cunningham has joined that list which is already you know it Impressive in and of itself. He's got two triple doubles this year. All other Pistons rookies combined, um, you know, have two in the all-time great history uh, of the Detroit Pistons. And, I mean, he just figures to add to it, right? You have Mm -hmm. Jeremy Grant out. Now Cade's going to have to do a lot more because even though he already had a high usage number, you know, Jeremy Grant was also getting a lot of usage. Jeremy Grant was getting a lot of shots up. He was giving you, you know, 19, basically 20 points a game, right? So everything that Jeremy Grant had to do, you know, some of it will fall on Sadiq Bay. I'm sure they'll let uh, Livers get a, a couple more shots up a game, right, and kind of see what they have there. But all of setting up those guys' shots is going to fall on Kate Cunningham, and he's going to be half – He's going to have to look for his own shot more um, and be a guy who can show now, you know, can he put up 28 every night from here to the rest of the season? And that's what I'm interested to see. I think he can do it uh, because, you know, everything that he's done so far, he's passed every test that you can possibly, you know, have had for him at that point. If you're giving him a pop quiz, he's aced them all. Here's a pop quiz for you. Three in the NBA in clutch points. Got Trey. <laughs> he got Joker. And the third person ain't Kevin Durant. It's not LeBron James. It's not Kyrie Irving. It's not Embiid. It's not Harden. It's not Steph. It's Cade Cunningham. A rookie is third in clutch points behind Trey Young and Nikola Jokic. And look, there's things that about his game that you can look at and say, you know, he's 61 out of 62 players in true shooting percentage for players who have taken at least 800 shots this year. So he is second worst. He's a rookie on a bad team. And you put up what he's doing against the other two big names that we've heard all year in Rookie of the Year in Scotty Barnes and in Evan Mobley. Well, they both have all-star teammates literally multiple all-stars and Scotty Barnes is on a team of guys that won the championship. He's got championship caliber teammates 
as well as All-Stars. And Evan Mobley's got a couple All-Stars on the team and champions as well. Cade's got neither. Cade's got young cats just like him who are scrapping and clawing and trying to find their way in this league. And he's putting up numbers that are equal with the MVP <laughs> and one of the hot young stars in the game in Trey Young. So, you know, it's it's amazing what he has done as a rookie. And I don't know how many different ways we can say it. I guess we're going to keep finding out. But it is just absolutely amazing what he has done in the NBA already with all the hype that we threw at him coming in. He has literally lived up to it and surpassed it. Yeah, and if you look at the other guys, and the both Mobley and Barnes are great players, so I don't want to turn this into like, oh, they suck. Hey, hey, but hey, hey, those, hey. you know, Cade's teammates looked at him and really kind of have all season looked at him to be the guy in those clutch moments, which is why he's, you know, third in the NBA in clutch scoring, where with Barnes, you know, you have Fred Van Fleet or you have Pascal Siakam, you have guys like that to take the load off and who are going to be looked at as more of a leader on the team, and they should be, right? You just said it. These are guys who have championship pedigree. They've done things in the NBA before. And then with Evan Mobley, right, he had Jaron Allen. Uh, he had Darius Garland. I know he doesn't have those guys now, and now the Cavs are in like a free-for-all or, you know, a, a free slide because – they lost, you know, they're two important players. So now you're starting to see the Cavs play like the Pistons, right? Where a lot of the Evan Mobley hype is because of the team success where the Cavs were you know, in the playoff race in the East and they still are. But since Jared Allen went down, they've been a really bad team, right? So now you're starting to see what happens when it's kind of the, the Evan Mobley show, if you will. And he's just not having the same impact on the game that Kate Cunningham is. Um, I would say Barnes doesn't, although I think Barnes is in a really good spot where he is really valuable to the Raptors, uh, mm -hmm. but is you know more insulated because he has these other teammates who are able to feed him, and then when he's not doing so well, able to take over, and that's just not a luxury that you know Kate Cunningham has. When he did have it, I guess it was Jeremy Grant, but now Jeremy's done for the season, so you're going to see you know uh, both Mobley and. Uh, and Cade kind of have to finish off the season without their, you know, uh, other best players on their team, where I'd argue Jeremy was, you know, even 1B to Cade's 1A, uh, and Mobley was, you know, a little bit lower uh, on that pecking order. But it's going to be interesting to see how those two guys finish the season out. I hope team success doesn't really come into it. I think Cade should be rookie of the year, but I think he could still make a really strong push these last, you know, seven games that we have left. Yeah, I, I, team shouldn't come into it because the majority of the time, your rookie of the year was generally taken in the top 10, which meant unless it was some tr crazy trade that happened and you got lucky, a la the Lakers in 79 with Magic, you are on a bad team. And he's on a bad team. It's not no, stat padding when you are literally the guy on a bad team. Look, Evan Mobley's great. He's not the guy in Cleveland. You know, I would still argue that Kevin Love is more the guy in Cleveland than Evan Mobley, even in his reduced role. Uh, obviously, Jared Allen was the guy, you know, and, and same thing with Scotty Barnes, exactly like you said in Toronto. He has the luxury of having good teammates to pick him up when he's not playing at his best. He's allowed to grow and have it not just hit you in the face. His mistakes would happen with Cade on a Pistons team that is literally one of the worst 
in basketball. So no, team success should not matter. How you play, what you've done, and the company that you are putting your name in with should yeah. matter. And the historic names that he has put his name in with go along with these stats he's putting up and how important he is to this team. All of that should matter most, and all of that should be the reason and should be enough reason that Cade should leapfrog to the top. We're going to find out. It doesn't matter either way to Cade, apparently. He believes that he is Rookie of the Year, but more right. important to him, at least as far as saying the right things, is winning championships, You know, making All-Stars, because that matters a heck of a lot more than Rookie of the Year. Just talking about Magic Johnson. He won Rookie of the Year. Larry Bird took it. Didn't do a damn thing to Magic's career. <laughs> just uh, just throw on the buffs and, and truck on. Yep. Uh, speaking of the Lakers, these are not Magic's Lakers playing right now. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Ryan, would you believe that once upon a time, the Los Angeles Lakers and San Antonio Spurs met seven out of 16 years in which these two teams won 10 combined NBA championships. In fact, their meeting in 1999, which the Spurs swept the Lakers, was the final games played at the Great Western Forum before the Lakers moved to Staples Center and christened it in with a brand new championship that very first year. These two teams owned the Western Conference for a very long time. That is not the case anymore. Lakers and Spurs fighting each other for that 10th and final play-in playoff spot as we speak. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a 180 of what we've seen even the last 20 years, right? Two years ago, the Lakers won the championship and the Spurs won the championship like five years before that or something, uh, six years, I think. But they've been the two dominant teams in the Western Conference and really the NBA my entire life. You know, the Spurs had those five titles. The Lakers won three, then they won two, <laughs> and then they won another one just a couple years ago. And it's teams that, you know, you never thought, I guess, would fall off. Or, you, I mean, you kind of assumed once guys started to leave, but they always seemed like they reloaded. Even when Tenunka was getting old, they brought in Kawhi Leonard. Boom, here's another title and another, you know, finals MVP. So for the Lakers and the Spurs to now be battling it out in what, during their reign, they wouldn't have even had the chance at the playoffs, right? The the 10th and the 11th seed mm -hmm. that they are right now, they wouldn't be in. It'd just be the top eight. Mm -hmm. So to have like this uh, – almost like this participation little <laughs> tournament to get into the playoffs is the best way I can describe it. Like this would not have been the case when these two teams were really ruling the NBA. They have probably the two greatest coaches uh, in basketball of all time. who we were going head to head in those rivalries with Greg Popovich and with Phil Jackson, obviously some of the greatest players, right? Kobe, even LeBron and Anthony Davis, again, two years ago, Kawhi, Tim Duncan, David Robinson. So if you are a little bit, of an older NBA fan, I'm sure this is, uh, you know, this is something that hurts you to see these two Kings finally have fallen. <laughs> so, you know, so far to just be battling it out to have a chance just to get into the playoffs. And it's something, again, if you would have told me this 10 years ago, I would have said, you're out your mind. These two organizations are just too good to do that. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's completely different situations for them too. Like, 
the Spurs have accepted their fate and went to youth. You know, they got one guy that's 30. That'd be Dougie McBuckets, <laughs> Doug McDermott. But other than that, everyone else is 28 or younger. They're led by a young cat in DeJounte Murray. And he's having a heck of a season so far. So good. So good. <laughs> it's uh, so sweet. Meanwhile, the Lakers go out and make these big splash signings. They bring in Mello and they bring in Westbrook. They also bring in some young cats and a Kendrick Nutton and a Malik Monk. But those weren't the headline names. And the three stars of this team, LeBron, AD, Westbrook, were supposed to be this, the, the trio that leads them to the promised land. They played 20 games together this year. And in those 20 games, they're 11 and 9. There hasn't been time for growth through these three stars. Injuries have taken their toll. Anthony Davis just, man, is brittle. <laughs> like, he is great when he is in. And he's healthy. He's fantastic. But damn it, if he can't stay on the floor. And LeBron having a bad luck now, you know, with rolling an ankle. And Westbrook just, I mean, Westbrook's come on as of late offensively, but. It's just not a mesh. It's it's not a mesh at all. And these two teams, uh, you know, both fighting for these last couple of playoff spots. They can they can get to both be in it at nine and ten. Uh, that jump to eight's a little bit tougher because the Clippers have about a four and a half game lead on the Lakers, a five game lead on the Spurs. But the ninth spot with the Pelicans is a half game over the Lakers, a full game over the Spurs. That is reachable. They both get in, but. It's tough sledding, especially for L.A. I mean, they've got to go at Dallas, at Utah, and then they're home against Denver, at Phoenix, at Golden State, and they finish the year at Denver. So pretty tough sledding for the Lakers. The Spurs, a little bit of an easier schedule. They still got to take on Memphis. They got to take on Denver in Denver. They got to take on the Warriors. They got to take on the Mavs. Um, But they got a couple games against Portland. And a game against Minnesota, not a walkover either. So they both got a tough sled at the end. And I don't, I don't know if either, you know, one, of, I think one of them has to get in because yeah. behind them is the Trailblazers, who's four games back. So yeah, one of sure, Lakers yeah. or Spurs are going to be in the playoffs, possibly both if the Pelicans basically lose out and they don't. Like, I mean, and look, it's not, it's not like it's getting any easier aside from the tough schedule. Anthony Davis doesn't seem like he's close to coming back anytime soon. LeBron James just today was ruled out in a game where you figure if the injury at least wasn't a little bit serious, he'd probably be playing to secure the Lakers spot, you know, at least in the playing tournament. Uh, You mentioned the Clippers who are sitting there as the A seed. Paul George is coming back, so they're going to be a better team. Zion is just now traveling with the Pelicans, so who knows? Maybe you need the Pelicans to lose one of those last two games or both of those last two games in order to make it in. But if he's back, you know, that's another – that's a boost to New Orleans. That's going to make it harder for you to get in. So for these teams, it's – you know, it's no easy sledding. I wish they could play each other on the last game of the year. I wish it worked out like that. And like a winner, you know, a winner gets into the play-in type, like a of, game one type of situation. Yeah, like a, a play-in for the play-in tournament. Uh, that'd be, that would be super cool. Unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. But, and, and you know, I mean, at this point, I figure you'd probably rather see the Lakers in only because, again, they have LeBron James. Hopefully they have Anthony Davis, and if they can make it in, those are probably guys you want to see in the playoffs, and certainly you know, the NBA wants to see them in the playoffs. 
So I think that might have, you know, some factor in these last couple of games that uh, that these teams end up playing. But it's it's going to be a hard road for both. And I think whoever gets in will probably limp in. I don't know that either of these teams are going to go out and take it against those schedules and go five and one or four and two. You know, I think it's going to be, you know, if you go three and three, you're just hoping the other guy goes one and five. And, you know, you you're, you're limping in to, to fight another day. Yeah, I, I mean, even if the, even if the Lakers get 100 percent healthy. They haven't had time to work on any kind of cohesive, you know, unit playing together. It's going to be like the start of the year all over again with the three guys learning to play each other, which is not conducive to great basketball. So even if they do get in, I mean, you've got, you know, some of the ESPN talking heads, you know, former former NBA players saying, you know, if they get in, they can beat Phoenix. I'm like, are we watching the same team? Like they might beat them once. <laughs> You're going to tell me they're going to take a series from a team that's playing as well as a team? Look, stars matter, but how you play as a team matters more. And Phoenix is playing like a well-oiled machine, and the Lakers certainly are not. No, I I think I'm in, uh, at least partly in their camp, though. I think if you get a, at this point, it doesn't seem like we're going to get a fully healthy Anthony Davis because that's just not what happens. And if he comes back, I don't expect he's 100%. But if you give me 100% AD, 100% LeBron, and then like 100% Westbrook, you know, then I can see it. But at this point, that just seems like more of a pipe dream than any type of reality. So if all those guys aren't clicking on all cylinders, you know, the Suns, or if they end up getting the two seed, um, I think it's the Grizzlies right now, you know, whoever it is should end up making pretty easy work of them. But again, you want to see LeBron James in the playoffs because that's when, you know, he turns it up. And again, one of the greatest players of all time. You see, you, you see what he can at least do and try and go, you know, one on five. At least I want to see it. <laughs> oh, so, so much sorry, fun to watch sorry, that man always play. Always oh, so much fun to watch that man play one on five and just watch his four teammates stand around. Well, when, uh, when Austin Reeves is your second best player, you got no no other option. <laughs> All right. Well, they're not clicking. They're not gelling. We got two teams, actually four teams, but we're going to talk about two of them first, that are clicking and gelling at absolutely the right time, and it's for the first time in the final four. AJ and I talked about this a little bit on straight shooting, talked about how sick we are going to be of hearing about these two teams on by Saturday when they finally face each other because they're the only ones that are really being talked about. It's North Carolina and it's Duke. We're talking about two teams that have combined for 334 NCAA tournament games, 36 Final Fours before this year, now 38, and have never played each other. And that's all the big hoopla about this. And along with Coach K, final season, we thought we saw the final installment of Duke, North Carolina, where North Carolina yeah. walked into Cameron Indoor Stadium and rained all over Shashevsky's parade, rained all over the 100 former players that came out to salute their head coach and be there for him, and North Carolina walked away laughing, thinking, well, we got him the last time. It ain't the last time anymore. We got one more on Saturday, Ryan. Yeah, we got one more. We got the most important one, and we just talked about what the NBA would do to get LeBron James in the playoffs. This whole thing feels like it's been scripted from the very beginning for Duke and Carolina to meet in the final four. 
and have it shape out this way. You know, this is like really the equivalent of if Michigan and Ohio State met in the college football playoff, not just the Big Ten title, but if somehow they found their way, you know, to face each other for a chance to go win a national title. It's uh, honestly insane. You know, we're going to talk about the other two teams in a minute, but this is like the bluest, the the bluest blood, the blood bluest uh, of Final Four that we've ever seen <laughs> from uh, from just a standpoint of all two teams with obviously these two teams right here being like the the standard bearers of what college basketball has been for so long. The only shame is that it's not a Roy Williams coach team, is mm-hmm. that it's is that it's Hubert Davis, right? Mm-hmm. If there was one thing you could change about the story, it would be it's both Roy and Kay's last year. Right. But Roy went out just one year too early, and uh, I'm super excited to see how this game plays out. Um, I can't imagine there's more, you know, hate going on from either side because after, the, after they beat Duke last time, North Carolina was uh, all on Twitter – all their players talking about, oh, you hate to see it. What mm-hmm. a shame Kay had to end, had to end mm-hmm. like this. And, you know, like you said, it might not be the end. You know, could karma come back or are you guys going to beat him again? Because that's a game. Duke was up, what, 10? with Or however however many points they were up with like eight minutes left. And then, you know, they, and they fumbled and choked the game away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is a team that, you know, they dumped on North Carolina in Chapel Hill a month and a half earlier. Had no problems with the Tar Heels, beating them by 20-plus. And then to turn around and have that second half against them at home in what should have been Coach K's last game against his biggest rival, uh, it looked real bad for Duke memories. And now you've got one more shot. The thing that blew my mind was, you know, these two teams over the last 20 years, the number of national championships they had, the number of almost, you know, just contending teams, one seed, two seed, three seed in the NCAA tournament, and the fact that they had never met before now. And then I saw the rules, and I was like, oh, this actually kind of makes sense because there's all these rules in place for teams in the same conference. If they are a top four seed, they can't be in the same. And the earliest they could face each other was a final four. So... When you think about how great both these teams have been for 20-plus years, it makes sense now when you hear that they couldn't have possibly been. It's not by chance. There are rules to bracketing. you know. And, yes, they create storylines. I didn't think this was going to be one of the storylines we saw. You know, When we saw Michigan State and as the seven in Dukes, too, yeah. like, okay, we're going to get Izzo and Krzyzewski one last time because it's the second most ever by two coaches in the NCAA tournament. It's two legendary coaches, two Hall of Fame coaches. Why not give them one more chance to battle it out when you know it's Coach K's last run? That made sense to me. I didn't see North Carolina steamrolling, you know, Baylor before letting them back into it <laughs> and then continuing this run, you know, and tough-fought battle against UCLA. They really steamrolled the Peacocks of St. Peter's. It just happened to be that time. But both these teams gelling at the absolute right time. You know, we had talked about, you know, Duke growing up in the NCAA tournament. They grew up in those final few minutes against Michigan State. We had a five-point lead, and we weren't able to close the door on them. North Carolina was in the same situation. Duke shot outside shots, sailed for outside shots, didn't force the issue like they did against us. So we saw them grow and become better. We saw it against Texas Tech as well. And Arkansas was just outclassed. Uh, you know, I didn't – that was an easy matchup for Duke in the Elite Eight. So now we got it one more time. We've got the legendariest of basketball rivals for college. 
And it's not for all the marbles, <laughs> but it's almost for all the marbles. <laughs> no, pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty damn close. And the reason it's not for all the marbles is because they put them on the same side of the bracket. The other side of the bracket, the what I like to call the forgotten Final Four matchup, just might be the one that ends up winning the national championship. Because just because Duke or North Carolina wins does not mean they are crowned champion. Villanova and Kansas meeting for the fourth time in the NCAA tournament. The last three times they've met Ryan, the winner has become the national champion. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's just stupid to, to say. <laughs> and you have, you know, Villanova, they, they have, well, they both have three titles, but Kansas is typically viewed as a blue blood just because they've been consistently good for longer. But Villanova, I mean, two of their titles came in the last six years. They won in 16 and they won in 18. Mm-hmm. And they have the same coach that, that they won with, you know, Mr. Jay Wright, who even with Coach K um, in the tournament, I would say is the best current college basketball coach uh, playing. You know, if if I could have a choice tomorrow of Jay Wright or Coach K, like the coach Michigan State, I would pick Jay Wright. I just think he's the best coach in, in the sport right now. And then you have Kansas, Bill Self, who won a title 14 years ago now, um, but has always had Kansas as a one seed. They've dominated their conference, and they've typically done pretty well in the NCAA tournament, um, haven't been able to get back to you know winning the national title. But it's not like their first-round exits every year. You know They're no strangers to Final Fours, to Elite Eights. So this is a matchup that in probably any other year that Duke and Carolina isn't on the other side would be the marquee matchup because these are teams that we've gotten so familiar with in, you know, at the end of March or that, that lone April game. Um, It's just, it's really exciting to see these two teams, you know, um, play Uh, because these are games that you typically maybe get in like the preseason, right? Not the preseason, but like before the conference season starts, or if you saw Kansas Villanova, you're like, oh, that's a Super Tuesday matchup that I'm definitely tuning in for. That's one of these non-conference powerhouse games. And now you get that with so much more at stake when we know way more about both of these teams. And four teams that I bet are probably feeling a little disrespected. You know, Kansas isn't the favorite to win it all. Duke is right now if you look at, like, the live odds. But Kansas is still the lone one seed. Um, you know, Kansas wasn't the overall number one in this tournament. Gonzaga was, and I'm sure Kansas probably feels like they should have been because, you know, they played a tougher road than Gonzaga did. And Villanova, they have the most recent championship pedigree out of any of these teams. Uh, And it seemed like they were maybe the most disrespected two-seat coming into the tournament if you just, I guess, looked at people's brackets and how far they had this Villanova team going. Um, So I'm interested to see that is how, like, much – each of the each of these teams carries that disrespect, and if they are able to carry it, you know, all the way into not just this game, but you no, know, the the title game. It's fun. Villanova just kind of swept under the radar all year this year. They had a they had a rocky start, you know. It wasn't they didn't jump out the gates, you know, 11-0 in the record book or anything like that. They had some tough games, they had some tough losses, and you just kind of forgot about them. And then they just kept the machine going and Colin Gillespie got healthier and got better and the team got better with them. And lo and behold, here they are final four, one step away from going back to the national championship. I feel bad for Nova, especially for Justin Moore. I mean, your second leading scorer tears his Achilles at the end of your elite eight. 
game. And it's just a brutal thing to see the best versus the best. You want to see the whole team being healthy and going at it. So now Villanova's got to find a way defensively to shut down a Kansas offense that's been clicking on all cylinders and also be able to get their points while having their second leading score not be in the game whatsoever. I love that we're getting, again, adding to the Duke Krzyzewski narrative and all the different things we threw out there with Michigan State and now North Carolina. The other thing that they've talked about all year is who's going to be the next Coach K. Well, you got two guys on the other side of the bracket <laughs> that have started a pretty good resume for themselves in their time in college basketball. And I think more so Jay Wright than Bill Self because he's younger and he already has more championships. But if Jay Wright wins, if Coach K wins, you have that possibility of Shashevsky versus his potential successor playing for it all. Yeah, I mean, if, if Villanova wins again, then Jay Wright has three. And he's probably got, I don't know how old the man is, 20 more years of coaching? <laughs> like, that doesn't seem, you know, unreasonable unless he's some 65-year-old who just looks real good. But he's got, you know, 15, 20 more years of coaching. He can stay at Villanova, but he'd be at the point he's probably at now where he can just point at any college job and say, hey, I want that. And right. like, all right, cool, good. Come, on, come on over. Right. So if Jay Wright does – he'll have a way more interesting case than Bill Self. I think even if Kansas wins again, um, Bill Self probably won't ever be able to you know, lead, to push himself into that echelon where Shusevsky is, where, you know, maybe like John Wooden and, and Bobby Knight are. But I do think legitimately Jay Wright has that opportunity, especially if he gets this one, to push forward with just some momentum, right? The uh, NILs coming, the transfer portals being – way more utilized now and Villanova always seems like they can have that mix of really great seniors. And if they're able to add some impact guys from the portal or able to give you a couple NIL deals to some of these top recruits. Now, you know, not only do you got the top talent, you got, you know, a very senior laden team um, and obviously a great coach who knows what it takes to win in March. And that is, you know, of course a recipe for success and, in college basketball, you just have to win one every, you know, six years. That's what Kay did, five, five and 30. Win one every six years, and you're, you know, the, the best of all time. So it's not like he has to go on these runs where if he wins this, this is his third title in the last six years. You know, you just got to win one out of six now and then, and then you're going to be, you know, uh, golden. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit self. If, if he can win his second, you know, now he starts, you know, because Kansas is always getting good recruits. They're never going to have a, a real bad team. But if Jay Wright wins his third in seven years, that's just nuts. And now you're, yeah, you are absolutely being thrown into that hype with all the other great coaches that have coached this game and how many years he had left, exactly what you're saying, and chances to add championships to that. Uh, you know, these storylines are crazy. They seem somewhat forced, but Jay Wright is 60, by the way. The, the biggest mystery to me, yes. Ryan. Bill is Self is actually up. younger. Bill Self's 59. Bill Self's younger? Yep, he's 59. Jay Wright's 60. Well, that's what it tell that's what tells you about living in Kansas versus living in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'll get, get that, give me that skincare routine. Yeah, yeah right. Was, oh my God. So, Ryan, at the end of the day, we ended up with Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas. How the hell did none of us pick this final four? <laughs> I know it seems so obvious on paper, right? Like you just, <laughs> it's like, oh, these four teams are usually pretty good. 
But, you know, Kansas was a one seed. They were in there a lot. Uh, Duke was a two seed, but I think still a lot of people had a bad taste in their mouth from them blowing that lead against North Carolina at the end of the year. And Virginia Tech in the the ACC championship game. Yeah, and uh, who – oh, Carolina is an eight seed, and they were going against the defending national champions in in round two. So I don't blame anybody for for not having Carolina, but I bet there is – I bet there's more than a couple people in North Carolina who picked Duke and Carolina to meet in that final four and they're winning their entire office bracket pool. Because <laughs> if you, if you even have one of these four teams, honestly, like even Kansas, like well, I know the I bracket pool is the one. Yeah. I, I think that's the only one of my final four that I had. Right. I think I had, I didn't have any, I think I had Arizona beating Kansas to go to the national championship. So that's the only one I had. Right. I had Gonzaga and I, I'm I'm over four. Don't even remember. I might have thrown Texas Tech in there as a three seater, but we ended like up with four freaking blue blood. I know, and like we you know, we talked about Villanova being disrespected, and I don't think uh, you know anybody was really picking them to to come out their their region. So a lot of brackets messed up. A lot of people like me over four on Final Fours. Some one for four like yourself, and if you're real lucky, maybe you got two for four. Maybe you picked both Duke and Kansas, and you're just right. out here. Right in the highest of highs, because that would be the two you pick. If you pick two right in the final four, it's yeah, probably Duke and Kansas. There's some Villanova I mean, fans who I bet are like exactly still got it outside of the fans of <laughs> these teams. I'm talking about just us general casual fans, you know. Because I already I threw one of mine in. Look, I couldn't do it with State. I wanted to, but I still you know drank the Kool Aid on Arizona and threw them <laughs> in there. So well, that worked out. So. so Somehow we got the bluest of blue bloods for a final four that nobody picked, which is amazing all in its own right. But we should be set up for, I think, I'm hoping two great games. You know, Duke and North Carolina, look, there's a chance Duke blows them out of the water. I, I think I think Duke yeah. is the better team, but Carolina has been playing so well since the NCAA tournament began. I mean, it's just, it's hard to see them getting their doors blown off especially against a team that they know so well. And then with Villanova and Kansas, Villanova missing their second leading score. But that defense is no joke. And if they can keep Kansas in the 60s, I mean, they're very, they're absolutely going to be in that ballgame. Yeah, I'd, I I expect, Duke, I expect Duke to win pretty handily. I know Carolina's a hot team. I feel like Duke should have beat them pretty bad twice. And they know that. Um, plus, all you know, all the all the mess Carolina was talking after the last time they played. I think there's a little bit extra, um, you know, extra meat on the bone for Duke to to attack. So I I kind of expect a blitz there. You know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I'd rather see a good game. But if there's one of these games that's going to blow out, I would definitely pick Duke to put the put the beats on North Carolina more than I would really either way the other way. And I do think Villanova is going to win. I just think they have the coaching advantage. I think Kansas probably has the talent advantage, but Villanova just plays better, like as a team, to you know, to me. Um, and I think they'll be able to frustrate a lot of what Kansas wants to do on offense. And you know, I, like you, I think it'll probably be more of a grinded out game, um, and we're not going to get some eighty-eight to eighty-five final. Uh, I, I think it'll be a more traditional kind of college basketball game where it's a struggle and it's a real struggle the last five minutes of the game as these teams are trading you know two point and one point leads 
Um, the big difference could be the fact that Villanova is going for the record as greatest free throw shooting team to go along with their great defense. So if it's crunch time and they're hitting their free throws, that could be all the difference in the world. We will find out this Saturday. Got two games where both teams know each other pretty well. So it should be a very interesting Final Four with four big names. Absolutely looking forward to it, even though none of our teams ended up being involved in this Final Four. Before we get off for the night, got to talk about our latest, greatest favorite show, yeah. Time on HBO Max. If you haven't tuned in yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, great casting. Found even uh, newer great casting added to this latest episode with How I Met Your Mother's fame, Jason Siegel, or, uh, or Sarah Marshall fame, or... Knocked up fame or whatever you find him in that you love him in uh, is the great Paul Westhead, who is coming on as assistant head coach to Jack McKinney and the Los Angeles Lakers, who are finding a new way to play basketball, Ryan. Yeah, this was the the main focus of this episode, or at least the main takeaway, was it's really the start of Showtime, where McKinney's yelling at Norm Nixon to – push the ball and pass the ball. And you see it. He's killing it in practice, he, but he's attacking the double teams and he's driving it in to three people and he's making the shots and he's figuring what's wrong. I'm making the bucket and McKinney's saying, no, do it again. Now we're going to put magic on the A team to teach you a lesson. You know, they end up getting put on the same team and that's when things are, you know, really start to click. And that's, that's the, the, thing I was looking forward to the most was the actual basketball part of it. So you can see him, you know, describe how basketball, you know, is like water, right? It should be a river. It should be free flowing, all of that. And that's what I wanted to see, you know, from, from the series, all the dramatization I love too, but that was the part where I was really looking forward to it to see how they described that and how they, you know, um, told the story of the birth of that kind of basketball, which is obviously a, a lot of what we see now, which is faster paced, pushed up tempo, you know, score the points and make the defense react to you. Don't, don't play the game that they want to play. And uh, to me, I, like I, I loved that part of it and seeing the early struggles with it, you know, pro- a lot of them, again, were probably dramatized magic throwing bounce passes and guys are running into each other. No, nope. like that's all real magic was hitting dudes in the back of the head. Cause they wasn't looking magic's talked about that plenty. He, when he first got there, dudes were not ready for his passes. All right. This is like Tom and Jerry though. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but I mean, no, I, I, I can see part of that. And one thing I didn't know before, uh, this episode was Norm, the actor who plays Norm Nixon is uh, Norm Nixon's son. Yeah. Which, which I did not know beforehand. Um, and, he's been, me, and he's acted in other things before this. So this wasn't his first role. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of makes me believe that it was, uh, you know, maybe a little less dramatized than I thought, or at least his character in, in specific mm-hmm. is uh, less cartoony than maybe I thought, or, you know, a more real life depiction of, uh, of who, norm nixon was so i found that and i thought it was interesting and i thought you know that part of it was cool yeah I, again this is a tv show so not everything is 100 percent real they try to keep things as close as possible to real for the important things and i think the important thing that people need to take away from this episode especially is especially for a younger basketball audience who care about history at all is that pat riley is not the birth of showtime jack mckinney 
is the birth of Showtime, and he gets no credit for it. You will find out why most likely in the next episode, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but Jack McKinney is the forgotten architect of one of the greatest offenses of all time. You're talking about a team that went on to win five NBA championships in the 80s. Uh, spoiler alert if you didn't know that already. I'm sorry you don't pay attention to basketball. <laughs> I'm not trying to ruin winning time for anybody. But, uh, yeah, the the dramatization is hilarious. The, you know, the, the cast of characters is great, and they keep adding new great cast each episode. I mean, you know, we got Adrian Brody last episode as Pat Riley. Now we got Jason Siegel as Paul Westhead. So, <clears throat> you know, we haven't really met any of the big-name stars of basketball that are going to be coming in as opponents. I'll be interested to see when those get involved. But I think the show is an absolute knockout. I've enjoyed all four episodes so far. And I'm kind of disappointed that there's only going to be 10 episodes. And I'm hoping that there's going to be multiple seasons of this 10-episode show. Yeah, I mean, I hope, uh, like, yeah, then you could bring in, like, Kobe and Shaq Lakers. Um, or even just do this with other teams. I mean, then you might have to focus a little more on the basketball and, like, not on the circus if you did it on, you know, like the Bad Boy Pistons or something. But you could do it on the 90s Bulls. You might be able to do it on the Celtics. Uh, you know, when they brought Bill Walton in, I'm sure that off-the-court, uh, you know, that, that off-the-court stories are, uh, are are probably pretty legendary. I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. But I would like to see more. It doesn't even have to be basketball. You can do the, you know, the Miami Hurricanes. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll eat up every minute of it because, you know, just kind of seeing this fictitious you know, lifestyle or what most people would think is fictitious, but is, you know, probably pretty close to how, how these guys were actually living. Um, that is always at least fun for me to see. And, you know, it's just cool, at least to me, to see the different actors that they get to play these guys and their spins on, you know, a Magic Johnson. I'm sure we'll see Michael Jordan at some point. Um, you know, even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's just as, as surly as can be. Mm-hmm. Um and to see some of these guys play like the real life counterparts, that is something that has always been, um, you know, like a, a a bonus to me. You know, playing a real life guy because then you can go not that you can't Wikipedia that guy, but then you can go Wikipedia uh, the guy and see he's alive and kind of match the stories of what happens in the show and then you know what happened in real life. Yeah, and just being sports fans in general, we always like shows that involve people that we know and people that we watched. So they've hit the nail on the head with this one. If you haven't watched it yet, it's on HBO Max whenever you want. It comes out on Sundays uh, if you just have HBO. Highly recommend it. We got to get out of here. Before we do, don't forget, like, subscribe, wherever you can find us, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, full episodes on YouTube. Ryan, I'm Matt. We're throwing stones. We'll see you guys again real soon. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, buddy. Go business.